0: Man, life hacks make life supposedly a little bit easier, and uh, this morning and these last few weeks, we've been talking about this idea of life hacks and that there are no life hacks when it comes to our spiritual life, that it is baby steps in the same direction over a long period of time where we see the benefits and we see God move in our heart and our life and that there are, there are not any shortcuts. And this morning, we're going to continue that study and thinking about this idea of life hacks, and we'll be... Looking in the book of James chapter 1 and, and seeing what it looks like for us to struggle with and to grow in our inner life. And two of the ways that this happens is through trials and temptations. And, temptations. and these trials and temptations will come for all of us. They're going to happen. It's not a matter of if they're going to happen it's or whatever. It's when it's going to happen or if it's going to happen in our life. And so this morning we'll be digging into James chapter 1. In that idea. So as with regular life that we live, there are seasons like spring, summer, fall, winter, and all of us have our favorite seasons. Some of us like spring, some of us like fall. I don't know very many people that like winter. Um, I've experienced winters, and they can be long, especially when you're the one shoveling the snow. And um, But that also happens in our spiritual life, that there are seasons of our spiritual life, just as spring brings new life spring spiritually brings new life to us as well and then the summer you kind of get to enjoy it's kind of this freedom and you're just kind of enjoying all the new life and the new things and then fall becomes and you kind of begin to see some things begin to die and begin to atrophy and you understand and know that winter is coming and so that happens with us in real life but also in our spiritual life as well and one of the questions, if you've ever experienced a real winter, sometimes they get long and you get tired of shoveling the snow. Especially if you've been a part of a blizzard and it just, just overwhelming and you're just kind of like, when is this going to end? The same is true with our spiritual life. Is there are moments where we are in a season like I like to call winter. That it's long, it's cold, it's dark, it's lonely. St. John of the Cross, a monk from years and years and years ago, called it the dark night of the soul. It's this place where you feel like you're in a desert and that you're calling out to God and God is not there. It feels as if he's not there and it's it's cold, it's lonely, it's dark, and you're just crying out and you want to have a sense that God is present with you, but you're not getting that. This is that season called winter or a dark night of a soul. So how do we get out of this winter? How long does winter last? Who knows? Sometimes winters are short. Sometimes winters are much longer than we would possibly want them to be. But the interesting thing is for us to know and to prepare for these seasons of winter. You need to be prepared because winter is coming. It's just a matter if we are prepared for it. Well, in James chapter 1, James talks about these things called winter, two Reasons are two catalysts for winter in our spiritual life are trials and temptations. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to James chapter 1, starting in verse 2, and we'll dig into what James says to us. In verse 2, he says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Now that word consider is literally a mathematical term called count. Any of you all know how to count? Yeah, hopefully. Some of you are like, I don't know. Count. Count up, count it up, pure joy. Now this joy is, as we understand as followers of Jesus, is a joy that's separate from anyone else in the world experiences. We have joy because we have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so that the world could be falling down around us, it could be total chaos, even our own lives seemingly, everything It's falling down around us. But there's one thing in our life that will not leave us, will not go away, will not be taken away. And that is our salvation in Jesus Christ. We have entered into a covenant relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ. And God the Father, whenever he enters into a covenant, it is a forever eternal covenant. He will not abandon that contract. He will not abandon that covenant. He will always be pursuing us. Now, we will honestly admit that there are times that we don't like what God's doing in our life. And so we try to run away from it. And God continues to say, you can run as long as you want to. But once you've entered into covenant with me, I will not abandon you. So count it. Consider it pure joy that life around us could be going to heck in a handbasket but at least I know that I have salvation in Christ. And even when I want to run because of the chaos, the one who's created the covenant, entered into the covenant with me, will not abandon me. So therefore, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials, you can at least stand on the foundation that you have in your relationship with Jesus Christ and that covenant. Now, he says whenever you face trials, that is means they are coming. It's not an if they're coming, they are coming. You will face trials. Now, one of the things here that James tells us is these trials are unique for us as followers of Jesus. That there are going to be these moments as because we've entered into covenant with God is that we begin to be transformed from the inside out. And so as we begin to think differently, as we begin to act differently, as our appetites begin to change and we desire things that are different than maybe before, people are going to begin to look at you and say something is different about you. And that then they begin to judge us because the changes that's happening in us because of our covenant with God. And so as we begin to look and think and act differently, what happens with other people? They begin to feel guilty. They begin to see, man, I want what you've got. And they don't understand it. And so trials come from other people. They literally put you in the courtroom of their life and begin to judge you. So those moments will come. The question is, if you proclaim the name of Jesus and you're not experiencing trials, then that's a question that we need to deal with on a whole other level. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials. They are coming. And count it pure joy because of the fact that you are being transformed Because of this salvation, and that's why trials are coming in your life. These trials are from the outside. They're enemies. You will experience trials from others outside of you as they see Jesus transforming your heart, your soul, and your mind. Look at the next verse in verse 3. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Now, one of the shows that I am in love with right now because of uh, Discovery Plus is Gold Rush. Now, Gold Rush is these guys, they're crazy, all right? And they're throwing a whole bunch of money to try to get gold. And so every time they get gold, they count it up and they celebrate. And then one of the things that they do at the end is they actually take it to a smelter. And the smelter then melts it down to purify it. And so they may think that they have 1,000 ounces of gold. But really, in reality, they have like 890 ounces because of all the impurities have been refined out of it. Well, this is the idea here that James has for us, is that when these testes, these trials come, that we are refined, that the fire of life is heated up around us and the impurities of who we are ourselves begin to rise to the top and God just kind of smooths them out and says, you don't need those things anymore, Chris. Just me, God the Father, is enough for you. So there's this refining process That happens in our faith and what happens in that refining process is that it produces perseverance Now this idea of perseverance isn't just a long suffering or a willing to like wait on and to be patient It's actually the ability to have the courage to stand against the trials right because trials are going to come because you're living out your faith And you're living out your faith. The trials come. Well, now you have to have the courage to stand against those that are accusing you. So how do you do that? You let God refine you in those moments. He gives you. He refines you. So there's a little bit less of you, a little bit more of him. So that you then have the courage to withstand the accusations that people are going to toss at you. If you've been a follower of Jesus long enough and you've been actively pursuing him, you have had trials in your life. Where enemies have lobbed things at you. And sometimes they're couched as friends. They will lob things at you because they're seeing changes in you. And they desire it. They want it. They don't know how to put words to it. But they are going to drag you down to see what your response is. That's how the enemy reacts. The enemy reacts and wants to bring you down and hurt you and harm you. And here, in this passage, you have the perseverance, the ability to stand strong. In the midst of what's coming. Sometimes people say, hey, you're yellow. You you don't have courage. The beautiful thing is it's not our courage. It's God's courage for us. That we can stand against the attacks. We can stand against the enemies. Because the courage isn't coming from me and my self-will and my intelligence. And my ability to pull myself up my bootstraps. It's the courage that comes from, again, the refining process that's happening. Because God will not leave me. In that covenant, even in those moments where I want to run, God the Father holds us in covenant and continues to work in the depths of our heart. The testing and perseverance. Verse 4, James continues and he says, Let this standing strong finish its work in you so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Now one of the goals for me as a father is, is that I want my kids to launch. And whenever they get 18, 19, 7, whatever it is, and they go out, whenever it, they graduate high school and they walk across that stage, it's like, hey, here's the keys. You're gone. Mom and dad are enjoying life, right? And so that's, that is, there's some things, though, before that happens that I want them to be sure that they know and they understand that they are living out because I want to see that they're mature and at least have an ability to be complete to do the things that they need to do what we call adulting. Because I don't want them running back all the time to mommy and daddy to solve their problems. And here, that's what James is saying, is that as the tests come, the trials of life come, they're refining you, they're building you up. God has provided a safety net for us, and that's that covenant. He will not leave us. He's always there to answer for us. But his desire is, is that his children is that we grow and become mature and complete, not lacking in anything. Now, we understand that there's never going to be a time as humans that we're never not lacking something. We're always in process of growing. And so this is a, a now but a future thinking. That James is telling us that this perseverance, this standing strong, is a continual working out of our salvation and being able to stand strong. And so the cool thing, and that's a really great theological word, cool, the cool thing is that God allows us over time to slowly get a little bit more. That as the trials of life get harder and more difficult, the reasons that we can withstand some of the harder and tougher trials is because we've gone through some smaller trials. And that God slowly builds us up and guides us. It's just the same idea as that you would not give your car keys to a four-year-old. Sometimes it's shaky to give it to a 16-year-old. And God says to us, the trials of life I'm allowing to happen in your life so that you can become mature and complete, and I'm slowly getting you there, and you're living in my house, and there's a safety net, and that safety net is the covenant that I have established with you. And in those moments where you, run, you want to run away or you don't understand the Father's directions, I'm not going to abandon you. You may want to abandon me, but I am for you. It's a beautiful image. Therefore, let us persevere so that we may become mature and complete, not lacking anything. The next verse, verse 12. Blessed, are joyful, right? Our joy comes from our salvation. Joyful is the one who perseveres, stands strong under the trial. The trials are coming. We can stand strong. And having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love them. Now, you know, we didn't get to celebrate the Olympics This Last summer and hopefully we'll get to celebrate them here soon But one of the things that we love is at the olympics is that people win and when they win what happens They get to stand on the podium podium There's a first place a second place and a third place and everybody wants to stand on the podium Why because you get recognized for all the work all the effort all the time all the self-discipline And fourth place is like the first loser. You don't get recognized who remembers the fourth place person nobody And here James is telling us there will be a moment where you will stand and God will put a crown of life on you. Now, the interesting thing about that life is that that's spiritual life. And that, again, this is that idea of we are working out what it means to be at home with dad for eternity. That all of the trials and all the struggles that we have here, it's making us complete and mature, lacking nothing. So that when we are done here And we're at home for eternity that we get to experience and understand our Father. So along the way, this completing, this maturing, this working out is preparing us for home. We have to do all of this to get ready for there. So one of the reasons that we have this season called winter in our life is because of trials. The other reason that we have uh, this season called winter in our life is this thing called temptations. Now, again, the scripture tells us it's not a matter of if they're coming. They are coming. Trials are coming. Temptations are coming. Why would temptations come to us? Because we're human. Because we have natural desires and there's those moments where we lose self-control and self-discipline and the things that are natural for us to desire after, we we, we go over in abundance. So some of the things that you lust after you have a desire for is food. Some of you are thinking right now, what am I going to have for lunch, right? So there's a natural desire for food, but some of you are going to go to a buffet and you're going to overindulge in that, right? And so the going to the buffet is not the bad thing. It's the overindulging in the buffet that's the bad thing. So we also desire breathing. We desire, we desire a lots of different things. And so in life, God has given us a natural desire for things, It's in that moment when we lose self-control or self-discipline and we think, well, I can handle it differently. That is when we fall to temptation. So look at verse 13 in James chapter 1. When tempted, again, not if, but when, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. Because it's contrary to God's character, number one. Alright. And then we also have a tendency to think of sin as a one time event. Like you saw something and you sinned and it happened. In actuality, God sees sin as a process. And here's the process that he gives us. There's this desire. There's this emotional thing that moves within inside of us. And so we have this desire. And then that desire then goes to, we begin to rationalize. Our intellect gets involved. And so we then deceive ourselves that we see something and we deceive ourselves that our what happens to us will be different than before or what happens to other people. So we see a bear trap and we see the meat in there and we're like, hmm, if I stick my hand in there, I won't get caught. That's how we rationalize things. And so it's that movement from desire to deception. And then we rationalize it well enough, what do we do? Our will and our heart then allows us to be disobedient. So we move from desire to deception to disobedience. And then in that moment we are disobedient, we look at the apple and we take a bite. Immediately what happens to us as followers of Jesus is then we recognize death. There's a pain, there's a shame, there's a regret that happens because we're saying to ourselves, why in the world did I think that I wouldn't get caught? Or uh, why in the world did I think that this wasn't going to impact me in the way that it does. Temptation is not just an event. It's a process, a movement of our emotions from desire to, to where we deceive ourselves and rationalize ourselves, and then in that moment where our will and our heart says, you know what, I'm just going to go for it, and then what happens? Death. Look at verse 14. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and entice. Again, this idea of desire is our, its our emotions. It's this natural thing, the things that we lust after, we hunger after, we thirst after, We even to the point of we get fatigued and we need rest, right? Desire fuels the car, but we have to be the masters of the car. We're the ones that give direction to what it is. So this idea of being dragged away and enticed. And so you see here James uses two images, and he's thinking about Texans here when he thinks about this. They're images of hunting and fishing. So the first one is hunting, and it's, again, it's this idea of a bear trap that's laid out, and you see it. And you see the meat, and you see the bear trap, but it's kind of, you know, a little bit skewed a little bit, and you kind of begin to think, and again, desire, deception, disobedience, death. And what happens is that you're enticed by it, you see it, and you begin to think, hmm, maybe, you know, I won't get hurt. And so what happens is within our will, we begin to deceive ourselves that there will not be a potential for pain and for sorrow. And so we go after it and we try to get it. And that's in that moment when we reach out and we grab it and then snap. And you're like, no! And then guess what? There's the embarrassment because we're walking around with a bear trap. And we think to ourselves, hey, we we were never going to do that again. We were never going to struggle with that. We were never going to get in that again. So he gives us this idea of a hunting illustration, and then he also gives us one of fishing. So whenever you've ever gone fishing, if you're any good, and I'm not good at it, but if you're any good at it, the thing that you've got to do is you've got to have bait. If you just throw a hook out, a fish is going to swim up to it and go, hmm, not a very good fisherman, and go off, right? A good fisherman studies where the fish are at. So they know that over here there's some wood, there's some different stuff, and so if you throw this out, there's going to be bass, or there's going to be crappie, or there's going to be... And so a good fisherman works and studies at how they can trap the fish and entice the fish to take a bite. Because if you entice them and they take the bite and you yank on it, you got them. And so our enemy is working that way. He studies you. He knows what entices you. He knows where you like to hang out. He knows what you're thinking about. He knows the details of your life. And he's just like, let's see what he's up to today. And then there's those moments where you think, man, I've done this before, and I know that sucker let me go before. I'm going to try it again. Bam! All of a sudden, man, I got caught. I thought I could be fast enough. I thought I could outwit him. And then we're caught, and we have pain, shame, regret. And you look like a fool with a hook hanging out of your mouth. And everybody goes, yep, I saw you did it again, didn't you? Jesus, in his temptation, in his moment of temptation, the beginning of his ministry, he went out into the wilderness for 40 days, and in 40 days he became hungry, he became thirsty, he became fatigued. And in all of those moments, Satan, the enemy, appeared to him, And said, hey, Jesus, if you just, if you just. And Jesus could have done those things, but every time that he was tempted, he responded with, it is written. So if the Son of God responds with Scripture to temptation, it sounds like it would be good for us to respond to temptation with Scripture as well. And here's the deal, is that it just didn't happen in that moment. Jesus knew that temptation was coming. So because he knew that temptation was coming, he prepared himself for the battle. He prepared himself for those moments. A long steps, a lot of steps in the same direction because he knew that he would have moments of weakness. And in those moments of weakness that things, the things that would be enticing to him, he could fall for unless he leaned back on and trusted on the one thing that would never fail him. And that's God the Father and his words in scripture. And so whenever Satan said to him, Hey, Jesus, if you just, he said, no, it is written. Hey Jesus, if you just know it is written. And so for us, in those moments when we're tempted, because it's gonna happen, because we have natural desires. We are human, and those things that are good for us can become overabundant for us. And in those moments when you're tired, in those moments when you just, life is happening, and you're just like, I'm gonna do it, I'm gonna go for it, it's just gonna, this time it won't happen to me. Jesus says to us, prepare for those moments because they're coming so that you can say, it is written. So that when the bait looks enticing, you can look at it and say, mm mm, mm mm. Not this dude, not this gal. I've seen that before, and I saw my friends, and they ain't come back to the pond. And I enjoy swimming. Way too much. Trials and temptations are going to come. Look at verse 15. Then, after the desire is conceived, so then James gives us this illustration. He moves from hunting to giving birth. So, then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Desire conceives, we then move to deception. We then move to disobedience. We then move to death. Desire begins to conceive a method. It begins to to rationalize it. And our our will and our heart begins to then, at that moment, approve it. And at the moment that you've approved it is the moment that disobedience happens. It's the moment that you take the bite and you get in. And disobedience always gives birth to death. Every single day time. Paul even tells it this way in Romans chapter 6 verse 23, for the wages of sin is death. Sin, temptation is not an event, it's a process. And the movement from our emotions and the things that are natural for us and then and whatever, we're fatigued and all of that and then it moves us to where we begin to rationalize it, and then we move from rationalization to our heart then begins to say it's okay, we approve it. And then that moment that we take a bite, Inside, you know that you've made a mistake, and that is death. It's that moment that you you're, you're struggle with your relationship, and you know that this is going to harm your relationship with the Father. Again, the cool thing, that great theological term, cool, is that God has done a covenant with us. And because we've messed up, we've fallen to sin, he's not going to say, Psh, I'm tired of you making the same mistake over and over again. He says to us, dust it off, get it back, here we go, let's try this again. Trials and temptations are going to come. I'm making you, I'm learning you, I'm growing you up to be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. And that one day is a long way off. But day after day after day, a long way in the same direction of obedience helps us fight off our disobedience. There's this wonderful passage that Paul gives us in Philippians chapter 2 that I think helps maybe pull all this together for us. It says this, Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now that's an interesting thing to think about because when we think of God, there are those moments where we think, hey, he's God and we should be in awe of him and not necessarily cowering to him that that's when we think of fear and trembling we think of kind of cowering down but what here the uh what paul is telling us is to work out to do the work of working out and figuring out our salvation with fear and trembling because of who god is because of the awe of him and the grace and the gift that he's given us that we continue to work out understanding the gift that he's given us in salvation that there's this huge box that god's given us as a gift and we can every single day pull out new things and experience the fullness of what it means to be a child of god so continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling for it is god who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose so there's this like conjoining of things that we're working But what really needs to happen is in our working, there's going to come those moments that we're going to come to the end of ourselves, and that we don't have the strength. We don't have the stamina. We don't have the intelligence. We don't have the wisdom. We don't have the whatever. And so we come to the end of ourselves, which is actually what God wants, because what that tells us is for it is God who then energizes us who gives us the energy, who gives us the strength, who gives us what is necessary so that he can do the work that he needs to do in us for his purpose. So that the, all of this inner work that's happening, we've got to be working at it. And there comes a point where we get to the end of ourself and God says, awesome, now I can get to work. And he energizes us to overcome trials. And overcome temptations. That those things we cannot overcome in our own strength. and our own wisdom. And God energizes us. To overcome them. You will have trials. And temptations in your life. It's going to be. The challenge for us is what's going to our response. Going to be to those trials and temptations. What are we going to do with them? Are we going to try to run from them? Are we going to lean into the one who's established a covenant with us and says, I'm here for you, I'm going to stand with you, and I am going to energize you to get through this trial and this temptation? But it takes us day after day after day preparing ourselves because temptations are going to come. Not if, but they are going to come, and trials are going to be coming. And the only way that can re- we can fully respond in the way that God would want us to do is if we have his mind and his heart, and that comes from us sitting down at his dinner table and eating of his bread, his word. And listen, here's my challenge for you. If you think that 30 minutes of Chris every week is enough to dine on, it's not. You have the opportunity to have a buffet every single day to sit down before God's Word and to dine with Him. He invites you as His child to sit down at His dinner table and to open up His Word and to dine with Him. And it enhances actually our time together. It kind of Gives you maybe a shot in the arm on Sundays to go forward and the next thing. You have the ability to dine at his word. And he wants you to because trials and temptations are coming. And if you're dependent upon just this 30 minutes, it is not enough. So my challenge for you, begin to dig in. If you don't know where to start, the Gospel of John's a great place. Just begin to dig in and just see what God has done and is doing and will do in you. So that when you gather here and we gather in community to open up God's Word, it just kind of gives you a shot to keep going. And that you know that you know that you know when trials come, you can stand. Not be fearful. That when temptation comes, you can say, it is written. And you can see that wonderful piece of bait and swim on past it. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you. For all that you have given us. Father, we thank you that through Jesus that we have a relationship, a covenant with you. That you will not leave us. You will not forsake us. You will not abandon us. That you are always there for us. The Scripture says, you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. Father, we need that in our life. We need consistency. And you are that. Father, we thank you that you give us the energy and the strength and the ability to overcome the trials that are going to be coming, the temptations that are going to be coming. So that, Father, that in the season of winter, may it not be a dark, lonely place, but a place where we are being being made complete and mature, not lacking anything. For it's in your Son's name that we pray.